0: Hey guys, welcome back! Glad to see you. Good you can make it. We had a lot of fun last time, and we're gonna have a lot of fun tonight. We're talking about pre-planning for low-level adventures and campaigns. Uh, lots of good ideas. Uh, so have fun. We're gonna keep doing this till we get it right. Uh, we've also put together a Facebook page, Game Masters Getaway. Now listen, guys, we're new. We're new. Be one of the first five. Jump in. Be that guy. Alright, so hey, I will uh, catch you guys at the end of the show, enjoy, if anything we say sparks an idea you have a thought to share, go to the Facebook page. See you at the end, guys. Hey, what's up, Brian? Hey, good evening, how are you doing? I am doing all right. Things are kind of settling down. I had the boy all week, which is great. But he's you know, he's ten. He's (laughs) ten. I love it though. At that age, you know, you can start you can start Uh, rolling a D twenty. You can kinda start him on the way. Well, he's right now he's just entered his first guitar phase. He's figured out how to hook his guitar up to my stuff through headphones. Nice. So I'm just kind of letting him do that for a while. I don't want to put too many of dad's wacky ideas in his head. Sure. You know, just yet. Hey, Matt, how's it going, man? It's going. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, Matt. Uh, doing okay. Brian, how's your week going, man? Everything all right? Yeah,
1: just uh, second week with my new team. I'm a district manager for CubeSmart. So I, uh, I joined them about two months ago. And so I'm on the road a lot. But uh, Wednesday nights, I'm, I'm starting to look forward to them. I'm starting to get excited. I'm like, it's
0: Wednesday night. So let's, uh, uh, let's podcast. Right. Matt, uh, how's your week going? Everything good?
2: Uh, everything's good uh busy not so much in terms of uh work work uh i've uh, been doing a lot of uh rpg writing uh lately ever since uh this this podcast thing started i've been getting more and more into just writing my ideas down uh so in a way i gotta thank you guys for making me think about things i've never really thought about before and i'm hoping people who listen to this uh have the same experience, so I've been keeping myself busy with RPGs. It's been a nice week.
0: <laughs> same here, actually. Nice. I have had to make myself practice guitar. Like, I've had to be like, okay, I need to put this down and go over here, you know, I have songs to learn, right? But I have been in the planning stages, you know, since we've all agreed to run a game for each other. Uh, as soon as we agreed to that, I started thinking, what kind of game? What, you know, what setting, what rules. And I, I think I, if you guys remember, I sent you a text a few days ago and I said, all right, we're doing Star Wars meets Deadwood. I love it. Um, so, yeah. So same here. So pre-planning, when I uh, sent out for subjects, Brian came back and he just said, let's talk about pre-planning, you know, planning your first, your, uh, your lower level adventures, campaigns. And I have a lot to say. So somebody should go first.
2: <laughs> um, well, uh I will just begin with uh something I wrote down on a s- scratch pad here. Episodic versus epic story arc versus dungeon crawl. So, my um thoughts on the planning stages of your first adventure uh group for low-level adventures um uh, it is going to depend on what exactly you're planning on for that campaign, um, you know, an episodic sort of you know, uh, campaign. You could just grab that first level adventure that you've had kicking around uh, in the back of your brain. And, and that could be your very first adventure. You could be done the very first evening. They're second level by the first evening. They've accomplished something by the end of the first evening. Um, you know, everyone's hooked. Epic story arc, um, you know, they've been introduced that the One Ring must be destroyed and they have to go to Elrond to figure out what to do with it. So hopefully they're hooked, you know, and they're committed. Um, so I, I – I, and then Dungeon crawls kind of in between those two. If you have a really big dungeon, I guess the players are about to make history by trying to tackle it as they enter into it for the first time, that kind of thing. So um, that's one of the considerations I always, um, I guess, first is my first consideration. What exactly is my plan for this campaign long-term and uh, how am I going to introduce the players to it?
1: Yeah, Brian, go ahead. I mean, uh, we're talking about, that starting foundation. So really like stage one of the rocket, like what's going to take off and, and how do we blast this off into uncharted space? I completely agree. You want to really diagnose what is that session going to entail? It's a, it's a heck of a decision to really make on dungeon crawl. If you're doing your traditional fantasy or so forth because you are going to really kind of set the tone right out of the gate, combat heavy, learn the mechanics, get the loot, lather, rinse, repeat. Or if you want to do a bit of the smaller game, the role playing, the world building, tying them into the world. If I'm starting any sort of setting or campaign episodic, Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes you don't even know if it's going to wind up being, oh, we're just going to play these random episodes and we'll come back and we'll play a different one. And then sometimes it turns into it is a full storyline because you find magic collaboratively. I do think there's probably no greater exciting time than low-level play. Beginning play low level play if you have a leveled system, but if you don't have a leveled system, if a system is level agnostic uh, there's no, not really technically an advancement aspect. It's fun. You're, it's honeymoon. Like you just got married. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Relationships are forming. People are excited. Uh, people who are already in two or three other campaigns. I'm going through that right now with a buddy of mine. And he's just – he's already spread across two different uh, characters that – fifth and sixth level. He's more excited about his first level monk that he's going (laughs) to be than his fifth and sixth level character. So it's fun. It's contagious. Who doesn't like the new relationship? And in this case, it happens to be with a character or world. So uh, it's, I think it's, it's my number one goal in first looking at low level play is I want to find out what are the narratives around the characters And tie those into my session one, two, three, and then kind of branch off from there. So,
0: yeah, excuse me. Um, I agree with everything you guys said, but my, I think mine, you know, my pre-planning can start anywhere. Sometimes it starts with an idea for a setting. Sometimes it starts, you know, I think we were talking before, I said, I just had a question, you know, where would superpowers come from? Um, Right now with the Star Wars game that I'm planning, there is a book, an expansion book that I never really got to use um, that focuses on the colonist career, on the doctors, the lawyers, the marshals, the Deadwood characters. Nice. You know, Cool. and I was just like, well, let's just mine this book for everything it's worth. And then as soon as I had Deadwood, it was like, okay, well, we need the main street. What's on that main street? You know, and there's nobody there. It's a settlers' town. So it's real easy to plop down two or three businesses in a starport, and that's your town, you know, and then you have a rich farmer, whatever. And then from there, those all the questions, well, how did this character get this? And how did this person get here? And then once you're once you have players that have made their characters and you throw them in that soup. It can be real easy to see where the personal stories, like where the player, players are both proactive and reactive, right? There are things that that the characters want, and then there are things that happen around them that force them into action, right? So once you kind of know what those characters are going to be proactive about, it can really shape the rest of your game. Like I know if you're playing Star Wars, your overarching story is easy. There's bad guys called the Empire, you don't want them to mess with your life, right? I mean, that's, right. that's Star Wars right there. And then everything else is personal. Are you Force-sensitive? Are you feel, feeling, you know, a pull towards a certain place because you have the Force? You know, are you a smuggler who is hiding out on this colony? You know, it's all, at that point, it's all character motivation. So you plant those first seeds of a world. That, but that's for this game. Anyway. Sorry, that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> that's what I've been doing. <laughs> I've been planning Main Street down next to a starport. So, yeah, and that's that's how it works. Somebody's to talk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, uh, well, kind of bouncing off of that, uh, when you're talking about what the players and the, their individual characters want and what they're going to react to, uh, my second consideration with that, first game and the plan of the first game is less focused on the world and the the characters made and the actual players sitting around the table or sitting in front of the computer, uh, you know, with whatever online platform we're using. Um, If I know them and I've played with them for a long time, uh, you know, that first session is going to be a lot easier for me. Um, I've mentioned this in the past. I get a little anxious. I get, I get butterflies every time I have, uh, I start a new campaign. It's, uh, right. that first session is always like, okay, is this going to work? Are they going to get hooked the way I'm hooked? Um, and just as a quick aside, I always, always, I do believe that the dungeon master game master is always the most invested at the table. That's just something you're going to have to accept if you're going to be a game master. Well, um, you-
0: Yeah, honestly, talking about, you know, pre-play design and planning, you know, for any level, that's 90% of a Game Master's gameplay, right? I mean, we spend probably 90% of our time doing that, 10% of our time actually playing. Yeah, oh yeah.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, And uh, so, uh, if I know the players, it's going to be easier that first session. Um, I I already kind of know what they're into. I already know what they're they're hoping to get out of it. Uh, and so I can focus on the more, I guess, fun stuff like designing main street, right. right. Or creating that awful villain that's going to show up and spark this grand epic quest or whatever. Um, if it's a group of people that I'm not familiar with and I don't know, um, I don't get, I don't get very complicated. Um, I might actually play a more episodic or straightforward dungeon crawl campaign. That way um, there's less pressure on the players to try to figure out what I want and less pressure on me to figure out what the players want. And I can c- kind of develop organically um, as I get to know them. Um, uh, like like you guys, Like I kind of know you, I kind of know what you want, uh, you know? Uh, so playing running YouTube 2 for the first time is going to be very interesting. That's why I actually switched gears and uh, decided to run uh, a module that uh, I just picked up that I think is kind of interesting and and a a good um, introduction to what Lamentations has to offer. Um, But, uh, uh, but yeah, that's, that's one of the the second consideration I have. How well do I know the players and uh, you know, what can I do to uh, get new players and learn, I should say, learn about the new players that right. are sitting at my table.
0: So real quick from a practical standpoint, um, I do want to bring in, we're planning these first adventures and, and you know, there's a, I have, what is it? His name is Hankren, the guy who did ICRPG, um, had a look up drunkens and dragons on YouTube and he has some really great advice about planning just for the session, you know, just plan for that session and those players. And one of the things that I think about, especially in when you're sitting around the table and you're rolling dice, whether it's the first time for those players or not, is to kind of give them an idea of what's going to be happening in the game. I mean, if we have a character who's a pilot, I better put in some basic piloting. You know, he needs to fly his ship, right? Dangerously, and right. see what that's all about. If you have a thief, you wouldn't give that thief, you know, the opportunity to sneak around and do whatever that is. So, there is a bit of, I guess, mechanics and ad- introduction. I that that happens at the same time in those early sessions but really you know to get the players comfortable with the game I think you just have to you kind of have to be an encounter a lot especially at those low levels not so much of the talky talk you know um acting stuff out but the nitty-gritty of chopping goblins in half and collecting (laughs) loot so
2: I definitely would agree with you on that up to a point. Um if if it's a brand new group of players and they may actually be new to RPGs I I'm not going to have them make grand eloquent speeches in the hall of the king as to why they need to be selected to go clear out the goblin mines, you know, <laughs> someone's right. going to come up to them and say, Hey, there's a problem in the mines, please go kill those goblins. And and then that's it. Um, but that kind of, uh, ties into a, something I had been thinking about with respect to, you know, skill systems that, um, you know, uh, where players improve the characters improve as the game progresses, whether it's a level based or point by base with uh, each experience level or whatever, um, you know, opening the, those first levels uh, you know, the difficulty ratings for success, um, even when they're supposed to be quote unquote easy can still be somewhat challenging. If you only have like a, plus two plus three to your role or whatever um but as you progress in levels you know and later on and maybe this is better left for another podcast uh but uh my concern was actually consistency um do you do you not make certain roles at first or have the players make certain roles at first level or um uh and and then later on make have them make those roles that maybe they would have made and failed, but now that they have the experience points later on, um, uh, you know, how do you guys uh, approach that? Um, I hope I made some sense there. I was kind of rambling, but uh, does, do you see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, no, I I see it. Brian thoughts. So um, well, first off leveling is stupid. Go ahead, Brian.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Taking leveling out of the equation, what we're talking about is advancement, but it's it's not necessarily character advancement. It's getting the players to start seeing how it's going to evolve with not just their own characters, but each other. Um, as a DM, so like in baseball, like there's this whole like uh, – there's a whole strategy in baseball. It's called small ball. And like the whole idea – I don't even really like baseball, but for some reason, this always sticks in my head, but it's a, it's, it's a strategy where you just basically want to get people on base and you want to just keep moving them around the base. You don't have to get a home run. You don't have to get a grand slam or a ground rule double or whatever. Uh, You just want to get people on base and get them to home plate. You want to get them to score. And I find that, especially if I'm going to dip my toes in a system that's unfamiliar either to the players or me, or if it's for people who are unfamiliar to RPGs, tabletop RPGs, I like kind of taking the approach of little victories and you start to see like the shoulders start to come down more smiles. The body language gets a bit more engaging jokes, start flying because despite, you know, we're, we're so battle hardened That we don't always see the pensiveness of players, even our veteran ones coming in with an untried concept or trying a class that they've never played in five years, if ever, or trying out a a new, uh, like backgrounds. Like I love backgrounds and occupations, stuff that's not probably going to ever be part of the game six to 10 sessions because the character is going to grow but at least there's something we can work from and kind of start to kind of weave a thread. Um, I, I So like that whole idea of like, I don't want it to be like a pillow fight. I want them to feel tested, but I want new players to get small victories. But if I'm playing with people that know what they're doing, like they know action economy, they know their characters. They've already got the next six levels progression figured out, or they know the system better than I do. um, I want to test them. I don't mind a little bit of mortality, because, uh, quite frankly, usually the highest mortality is going to happen at low level or beginner play. And I don't mind a reality check. Like, I will throw undefeatable elements. Into the first few sessions, just yes. for just for humility, like for humility and for them to realize, okay, this isn't small ball. This is like a half court basketball game and you're down on points and you're already on defense.
0: Hey, you're first not category. If you're running a star Wars game and your characters are not running away, like 75% of the fights they have, you're not, it's, that's not the story. That's not that genre you're outnumbered. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, You know, the thing about a system with, uh, say, a skill buy as opposed to a class system is that you do see progression really quick. You know, um, old school D&D, you make level two, you get plus one to whatever, you know, right? And then that's it. And then it's however many XP until the next thing. With a skill buy system... You know, after the first session, you're going to come back and you're a little bit better at shooting your gun, which you miss. You know, you, maybe you missed a roll. I think it gives satisfaction a little bit earlier. Um but you know, each to his own. Yeah. So, but really in early sessions, in, in early level play, there does need to be a, there does need to be a bit of a reward. You know, if you have new players coming into a room with people who have been playing together for a while, or even if you have a new player coming into an older campaign, it's not that hard to throw that player a little bit of cheddar. You know what I mean? (laughs) You can figure, you can figure something out, give them a little bit of success. Uh, But I do agree. Players are pensive and they need, you know, they can sometimes need a little bit of reassurance. I ran one game, um, which was, I told these guys, this is a road warrior guns blazing, no big mysteries to figure out. They uh, had stolen a big, like semi diesel that was armored up with a flamethrower on top, all road warrior style. The bad guys are trapped in the cave, and it turned into a game of Dungeons & Dragons. I swear somebody was going to pull out a 10-foot pole to make sure that it wasn't trapped Hmm. before they (laughs) went into the cave. I don't know why that story just came to mind. Anyway, um, but yeah, I do. players need to feel a sense of satisfaction right at the beginning, but also a sense of danger. So how often do you kill off new characters? do you allow players to make bad decisions at low levels that will take that character out of the game?
2: That's a good question. Um, And I don't know if I have a good answer. Uh, I tend to think in terms terms of movies and and amazing bingeable television shows uh, when I write and, and think of campaigns. So, uh, if someone is, especially if it's a character that uh, right away, people are, especially the player, uh, loves, um, I I, 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 I can be forgiving. Like I might, like my eyebrow might raise and i and the, the famous Gary Gygax dictum, you know, saying, are you sure you want to do that it comes out? Right. Um, but the, but then again that always goes back to the type of game I'm playing. Um with my current dungeon crawl game that I'm running on fantasy grounds, um, I flat out told the players, uh, especially considering they're almost all of them rules lawyers, I flat out said to them, This is going to be you versus the dungeon. You are going to I am going to actively try to kill you. Um I'm not gonna cheat, <laughs> okay, but I am going to try to make this very very challenging for you. Um so and and they were on board with it, and they're they're loving it, and they're coming up with crazy spell combinations to thwart uh, my my villains. Uh, in fact, most recently, uh, the big bad is this ogre with two dire wolves. They used uh, two spell combos that basically trapped the ogre and the two dire wolves in a room while they just pelted them with arrows and stuff. It was. I I was angry because I couldn't do anything with this ogre, uh, but I was actually incredibly proud because they worked together so well. Um, but in my epic storyline that's been on hiatus with COVID nineteen, um, you know the players are aware that they could die, um, but it's more Lord of the Rings. Uh, war of the lance sort of style so i'm not just going to kill them off in a random encounter i feel like that would cheapen their characters and cheapen their experience um but if it's a cool death like if it's like they've made a decision to hold the line while everyone escapes or if they're they're single combat against some major villain yeah of course of course i'll take them out
0: yeah. I I think sometimes it's not the worst idea to let a low ke- low level character bite the dust. It depends on the kind of game you're playing, but if you're playing something that's supposed to be dark and gritty, and your players signed up for it, you know, eat them off the cliff. You know, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes someone's got to pay the price. I mean, I'll tell you I, straight up, there is a point in every one of my games, which I kind of see is, um, the beginning of act three. And if someone has a pet, if there's a, like, a, <laughs> if you guys oh. have made a friend, whatever it is, <laughs> I am so killing that character.
2: <laughs> I, I, I hate pets. I hate pets with a passion, a thousand fiery sons. Uh, <laughs> and I blame old school Rangers oh. for them. Um, well, but yeah, 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 it's
0: really, it's just about, <laughs> yeah. I want, I don't want my players to feel safe. If they feel yeah. safe, we may as well be playing Monopoly or, you know, something like that. I want them, yeah. I do want them to feel like, oh, these things can happen, you know, I'm kind of like a Joss Whedon movie where he just picks somebody to die for no good reason out of nowhere. So go ahead, Brian. Sorry.
1: No, I, I, you know, Matt, you really hit on something though. It's a key element and you want to have a transparency contract where there are implied and understood aspects, whether, you know, the setting Cthulhu, you've gone crazy, you've lost control. You're the murderer, whatever. You want to make sure that your players aren't surprised, that they know it that's because that's not cool like they're coming they're driving to your house or they're spending time online for an hour two hours you want to give them an idea of what they're getting into if they're getting into the cage give them gloves let them know they're going to get punched in the face um so so that that that's that's important to fostering trust Um, but you want to create struggle and drive early. And Gary, I mean, you're spot on if, if you're going to see death, you're really going to always see it at low level or early, early game Mm -hmm. play and better that they get accustomed to that before they get too attached and they can still be excited about generating the next and, and, and coming up with the next concept. And integrating that
0: into whatever continues. Well, right. Well, that's the other thing is you can also, you know, and and I've only done it once or twice, you know, that I can think of off the top of my head. But once, you know, when I was actually a mature gamer, I did kill someone off early level. And it kind of set the tone for that campaign in a way, like not just the players knew that their characters could die, but these characters already bonded over the death of, you know, one of their brothers. You know what I mean? It was – it there was already a theme. There was already a hero, you know, to some extent. Um, what I don't like, and I find that more modern systems, this is almost impossible to have happen. But what I don't like is when there's that accidental role where, oh, shit, you're dead. You know, this thing shouldn't have killed you. I, I did the numbers. It really shouldn't have killed you, but whoops, you're dead now. Like that is ridiculous. Are you
1: saying, are, so Gary, are you saying that those instances happen because of the design or because of the dice?
0: Well, I think in early, I think, you know, being a kid playing, you know, advanced Dungeons and Dragons, I think it was a system. I think the system I think there were early role playing games where the system was just not I don't think they were play tested a whole lot I don't right. think a lot of a lot of thought was given to balance and I have my thoughts on balance are pretty wacky because I mostly don't care I think that's like the game master's responsibility to a large degree um but I it they just weren't thought out we're 30 40 years into this hobby now we have influences from other games we have video games you know uh cinema and and literature is really kind of sunk its claws into what i would call new mechanics and um yeah it's harder you know in in uh, genesis and in star wars <laughs> there's only like two ways to die now it can happen. Don't I mean? Don't get me wrong. You can die. It's it's not that it can't happen, but you have to try pretty hard. You know, you probably when you enter a situation where your character dies, you're probably you probably have a pretty good idea that they're going to die. You know, um, and that's why there's a lot of running away, and <laughs> there's a lot yeah. of running
2: away. <laughs> so so that yeah that's that's actually an interesting point about the the two the difference between the two systems uh, uh chronologically because uh, I do agree with you back in the day i mean it was it was lethal uh, it was very lethal especially if you were playing it straight and you were just rolling your three d six for your attributes and you roll a fighter with a ten strength you know <laughs> like yeah well yeah that's that's who i am uh uh the town guard that decided to go out an adventure um but you know, early, or excuse me, uh, in the 90s, uh, I think it was Alderac Entertainment Group. I think they're out of business now. I, I honestly have no idea. But they came out this this uh, game called Seventh uh, Sea. And it was a swashbuckling, uh, near-earth, uh, renaissance-era uh, uh games is a really wonderful world. I fell in love with it. Uh, uh And it was all ba- just swashbuckling. And they flat out said, they told the game master, you are not to kill a player by accident. <laughs> you are not to do that. This is about telling a story. And there's a storyteller system, uh, as, as I like to call them, where it's a roll and keep. You roll your skill plus your attribute and you keep a number of dice. And if you meet a target number, you know, you've succeeded. And depending on The particular numbers maybe succeeded really well that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and it was really collaborative the players told you know the game master me you know uh what what they were doing and while they were doing it they were adding elements to the room or the bridge or the 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 road or whatever they were adding to the story Mm -hmm. so like yeah i'm gonna you know i might describe like yeah, you're in a tavern. Blah blah blah. The uh, the, the the cardinals' uh, personal guard draw their rapiers and get ready to attack. And the one guy says, "Well, uh, there's a chandelier. I'm going to cut the rope that attaches the chandelier and swing over and do this that, and the other thing. Really cool. Like mm-hmm. we, it was so collaborative. But yeah, they. Flat out said, you do not kill the players <laughs> oh. unless it makes sense. And um, uh, uh, what you're supposed to do is if they do reach zero health, they wake up in the dungeon and now you have an escape plan that has to be hatched, you know? Uh, so I always thought that was a, a, a clear and great way to explain what that campaign was all about. hero hero heroism swashbuckling adventure uh we're we're not out to put the players through the ringer like it's a dungeon crawl or anything like that matt when you're Um, when
1: you're when you're describing this it's hilarious because first off my instinct is just being a dm rebel i would just want to kill everybody (laughs) And, and that's not me but it's like well don't already put these preconceived elements in play because it's our game, right? It's our game. You're giving me a structure and tools for my players and I to tell that. But when you say, well, don't kill anyone. Well, that kind of, we're playing with bumpers. We're bowling with bumpers, but you, (laughs) but you did, you know what? And and this also, you did, you said something earlier and it was kind of provoking my thought. Uh, And this is low level play in general. It is it is really good whenever you're, you are playing with people that are new to a system or to tabletop role-playing games because you do get to identify the player types. Like like you're mentioning the person who's kind of being tactical. He's like the tactician. He's like, okay, the, the chandelier. Okay, that's his type of play. Check. Got that. Uh, versus the role-playing ones that are taking to acting. And a system like that... Unlike the crunchier games that some of the times we gravitate to, you might, I imagine it's probably easier for you to identify player types when you have that much free form. I don't know. Uh,
0: yeah, I would. Absolutely. Uh, I played fate. Uh, fate is a game where you add aspects, you know, like you were talking about earlier, Matt, um, yeah. just added to the, you added to the room. I think you have to spend fate points. I, I've only played that system once. Um, but yeah, it's, it it takes a lot of control away from the game master and a huge amount of control away from the game master. And I would want to kill everybody too, sometimes, um, (laughs) you know, so one of the things I mentioned earlier that I do want to talk about, because I think this is really important and that I don't think a lot of people have given it thought, but depending on the type of campaign you're running, your players are either going to be reactive or proactive. So and what i mean by that is the game starts and the players have a set goal. Their characters have this goal and that's what the game is is them trying to achieve a goal. They're proactive in trying to achieve some mission, right? And then you have games especially if you're playing like a superhero game where your the characters are reactive there's a something has happened there's a bad guy that has set things in motion and your players are going to react to what is happening to the events around them and i just wonder when you guys do games is it do you typically do games where your players have a goal where it's, it's already set out this is what the end goal is or is it more of a how do you balance that i guess did that make any sense at all to you guys? <laughs> just... It made
2: a lot. No, it made a lot of sense. I'm still thinking about it because um, I I I I ran a, a Dark Sun game uh, when Fifth Edition first came out, uh, and it was kind of foolish of me to run that when I was still learning Five E because I immediately introduced all these optional rules. Uh, to make 5th edition feel like Dark Sun. Um, players enjoyed the game, though. Uh, so I guess I just made a lot of work for myself that I shouldn't have. But um, the the idea of that game was uh, the players were essentially... They started off as slaves because um, that's part of the world. And I wanted them to feel like, hey, welcome to Dark Sun. No one cares that you're alive. Right. Um, and then they escape and then they, in part of their escape, they get a map. Uh, and I actually had a really cool cloth map of the dark sun areas so, though, that I got in some game supplement. So I gave it to them, So it was like a little prop and I'm like, where are you going to go? And so they were reacting to the world. Um, it was cool. Like kind of like a hex crawl kind of thing where, you know, uh, I don't know if I would ever do that again, though, that because that required me to do so much extra prep that I never ended up using. You know, if they don't go north, what happens if they go south? What happens if they go west? What happens if they go east? And um, I did like the organic nature of it. Um, they were creating their own story, which is what I wanted. See, and
0: I would call to- that more proactive because – that in that situation, you didn't necessarily, there wasn't necessarily an, an antagonist. You know, they weren't running away from anything. They were being proactive in their survival and they were making like a hex crawl. They were like, okay, we're going to go to this hex to get water or whatever it is they have to get. You know what I mean? Whatever right. their survival no, I see thing what you're is. Saying. Right. Whereas, so yeah, that's a very proactive game and it's open ended. It's kind of like running a tabletop, you know, Grand Theft Auto where your players can just decide, no, I need to go talk to, you know, so-and-so at the casino and you do have to be on your toes a lot, a lot. Um, So I'm just curious, Brian, what about you? Are you, do you run more open-ended or or is there an antagonist?
1: I really enjoy open-ended for low-level play to kind of set roots. And it's interesting too, because, The whole you you brought up for example why why does a superhero want to be a superhero you know so usually it's because of something that's in the past so now there's this compulsion that they have to continue because of something in the past so the test when you're trying to construct a scenario or an adventure or just create a plot line maybe something's just going to thread along is giving them some sort of narrative agency. You want there to be those plot points where there's the hooks and maybe they take it. Maybe they come up with it before you even play that first or second session. This is some of the things I'd like, I'd like to see, you know, I think about, well, you know, you mentioned Kitty Pride and uh, Matt, you know, X-Men. So you've got a whole slew of options for what we will run with the marvel tsr superheroes game i find it a very very compelling challenge really based upon this whole proactive and reactive element because you're right superheroes by their very nature wait for bad shit to go down so and and
2: then they're heroes
1: so how do i create something that is going to be provocative uh, and that's a test. It's, it's it's a fun test, especially in that type of genre. Um, you know, you look at, like, the Avengers films, and in order for them to get together, like, Agent Coulson or whatever, and Nick Fury had to run around and tell everybody they're important, and I'm doing this sort of thing. And it, it, I don't know if that was the most organic way. It was, it was about as much of a railroad, I guess, maybe, uh, as you can imagine. <laughs> Mission accomplished, though. They made, you know, $10 billion. Right. Um, sometimes starting in the aftermath like the first couple of sessions like the aftermath of something terrible or vastly impactful on a personal level or on a grand level can give purpose um, I, I, I do I do find that designing areas to immediately create hooks off of what the characters want to do gives me a lot of fuel gives me a lot of creative. Yep. So I don't don't like to use a lot of pre-published at level one or two. And you you know, it's funny too. If you think about it, think about how many early level adventures or even campaigns in general take away all agency and already put characters on Ravenloft. The freaking myths are around you. Congratulations, right. Castle, Castle Amber. My favorite module, probably, of in all of of role playing. Yeah, there's a bunch. You're, you're, you fell asleep, and now you're around a magical chateau. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Dark Sun, you're already starving. You're getting dehydrated. Congratulations. You know, there's always this uh, hostile foreign aspect that puts people on their heels. So how do you get them to where they're sprinting out of the gates instead of kind of punch drunk and staggering out of the blocks? Uh, these, these are good things to consider when you're designing even at low level play.
0: Well, if you think about your, your adventure and let's just think about the adventure. Okay. If you're thinking about the first, you know, your, your first three sessions, um, you're absolutely right. Giving hooks. And I, tend to think of them as attachments more than hooks. Like I want my characters <laughs> to care about something that is not them. Right. I don't want them thinking about gaining levels. I want them to care about the hostage they rescued or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, the dog they found, which I'm going to kill later. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh But yeah, you're right. So like, for example, the the game that I'm putting together now, I'm not designing a whole town. I'm just designing, you know, I'm writing the names of three businesses and the people who own them and a couple other people. And then those people obviously have connections or NPCs, but that's really it. They want something. How do I bring the players into that? Now, after that third or fourth session, when you have those attachments, you are absolutely right. Brian, drop a comment on that world. Yeah. You, you know, like, seriously, have Godzilla wreck the city. Once you've, you've formatted relationships between the characters and the NPCs, the players have probably gotten a little comfortable with what they think is going on
1: right you, you look at tolkien and you think about something all right so frodo look I, I think if we really look at him objectively well for i mean first off he's he's kind of boring but he's also kind of reactive yep he kind of has this but look at samwise samwise Ganji who brings tears to our eyes when he says, "I can't carry it for you, but I will carry you"? Uh, Samwise Ganji—he was proactive. He chose. He was going. He had a purpose. Yep. And he carried. So I, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about Sean Astin's performance and how much <laughs> he brought to that. And that is the sort of thing that, if you can harness it as a DM, find a way to, and you might have to really work with your players. Uh this might not be a one conversation topic. You might really want to find out well, well what do you want out of this out of this character? What what do you want to
0: achieve? Um, what are gonna be the things that compel you to actually Well I actually have a good example, man. I wish can you know what for just a minute, I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit about what I'm planning and how this particular adventure is going to run. Okay. Just so that you understand. In- so what I would tell my players is this. You guys are colonists on a planet. You're either going to have a homestead, some kind of ranch, farm, or mine, or you're going to have a business in town—mechanic, doctor, whatever. Well, you know, it has to do with your character, the character career you choose. And then I'm, and and that's pretty much your goal when you hit that planet. Is you have an obligation to pay back the people who helped fund this for you, and then there's internal, you know, politics. There's the people you meet but your overall goal is to make this business work no matter what's happening on this colony. So there you are, you have a mission when we start, you know, and I'm just throwing things at you to mess that up and you, uh, and you can do that for three or four sessions and then drop the comment.
2: Right. Oh, I, I see what you mean now by reactive. Um, uh, I think, and, and, I think that's, well, one, I think that's an awesome idea. I want to play a rancher. <laughs> uh, number two, <laughs> number two, because uh, no one's ever literally, anybody else, when I have gotten an op- opportunity to game, no one's done something like that. It's usually, oh, we're going to go kill monsters or do whatever. Uh, but uh, I think that what you're getting at with a, a reactive player, uh, and characters. I think that you're going to see that more with experienced gamers, uh, where they don't need to be led. New players, um, you know, they're new to the game. Of them have been playing for a few years. What they know, especially in the D and D fantasy role-playing context, is there are monsters in the old keep. There are goblins in the mines. There's a dragon over there. They all have loot. Uh, the the king really wants them out of here we'll go take care of it you know and we'll do it um to have a hello come to you well uh, this is what i'm going to do in reaction to some of this other stuff that's going on in your campaign world i think uh I think that is rare. I, I rarely see something like that, and uh, where I have seen it is in my long-term gaming group, with uh, especially in my epic storyline that we're doing. Because um they're, they've been approaching me uh, individually and and offering, like, you know, one guy's is playing uh, a member of the left hand of the church. He does all the bad things the church needs to have done that they don't want to acknowledge. Uh, so he wants to, you know, he's got all these plans for his character and he's and he's actively trying to set position himself. He's also a very political character. Uh, it's it's very cool. He's one of my favorite characters in the group. Uh, uh, so I, I don't think you're going to see that in um, uh, new players and on low level play. I don't know if I would uh, expect it because uh, at that at low, first couple of sessions, it's really about introducing the players to the world and the campaign mm-hmm. you're going to run and getting them used to what it is that they're playing, whether it's you know a level system with they've never played a barbarian before to a skill buy system where mm-hmm. they've decided to this combination of skills uh, and abilities and that sort of thing. So I don't well, know. If actually, I would yeah, I agree that. with I, you.
0: And the more that I think about it, I think you're right. I think in low level play, You know, the path is going to be fairly straightforward, even if the characters have, like, I I ran a military campaign once and the characters had a very defined mission, right? Like, it was very clear how they could win this adventure. Um, But even then, you know, you can't just drop players off. Okay, you're in a field, the town's, you know, 10 clicks to the north, they're going to need some input. And something to bounce off of, especially at first. But I think it goes back and forth because if you're in a long campaign, you know, and your characters gain levels and, and those characters are going to have motivations. And like you're saying, they're going to come to you and they're going to say things like, I want my character to do this. You know, um, I remember I played a doctor in an old west setting once and I wanted him to run for mayor, you know, and I went. I Yeah. And I, I went to <laughs> cool. the guy running the game and I said, hey, I, you know, this is what I want to do. But you'll see the back and forth, because I think the big story, you know, in the case of Star Wars, you know, Empire Rebellion, I think the big story is really what gets in the way of the little stories. Like when I read X-Men when I was a kid, I always felt like the story was that Kitty and Colossus wanted to kiss each other. But they kept having to fight all these bad guys, so they never got to. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, your players will have those, those motivations for their characters, and then your job is GM. But that's in the big campaign. In the episodics, let's face it, those are on the rails. Your characters have the illusion of choice. I mean, I would say the, in the low, low level episodic I... adventures, agreed?
2: I completely agree. I completely agree. I I think um, uh, if especially if you're running from modules that are supposed to be one shot or just handled over a couple of sessions, if you give the players t- too many options or are too open ended, you may have wasted a little bit of money on that one shot you you purchased or from DM's Guild or whatever uh, or whatever, or if it's something you've drafted, you know, uh, you've wasted some time. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, the illusion of choice, as you put it. Um, I know, Ryan, you're <laughs> all about player agency, <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I um, with the exception of that 7C campaign I ran, I, I'm a big fan of maintaining control. And at lower levels, especially if, if the, the lower levels are about setting up an epic story arc, I want to keep it I want to keep it controlled, make sure the players know what they need to do uh, and don't give them too many options. And, and um, a, the example I'm thinking of is what set off my big campaign. They were all on a border town for various reasons. They all had their individual. Some of them had relationships with the, uh, each other. Some of them didn't. They all had their reason for being at this border town. that had nothing to do with the epic campaign. And then, you know, this great colossal red dragon was awoken by, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, church that has been spreading itself out into the wilderness. And he just came and laid waste to the village, burned the church and his orc, uh, uh, uh allies, uh, you know, started laying waste to the countryside. And so boom, these guys were thrust by circumstance to be together And only they know How to stop it So uh, that set the tone for the game And they knew exactly what they needed to do And then since then they've had a lot of options As they move from one section Of the world and one part of the story To the next um, But at the end of the day They have to find the items to build The dragon slayer and then go kill them Hopefully by 20th level
0: So Alright Brian
2: <laughs> well, I, I
1: first off, uh, I I think I think it would be an insult to assume that either of you have not had to change the tune on the fly in a low level uh, those first few sessions. You you don't get to doing what we've done for 25, 30, 35 over 35 years in, unless you've learned how to all of a sudden changed, change to the beat. Um, you can thumbnail loose sketches and maybe create three or four divergent paths. And once you, once you have a few years under your belt, there's something to be said about, well, you know what? I had this grand plan, but they really got super excited about this. And so, yes, like you mentioned earlier, then you go to that, not episodic, but the session to session prep, the Mike Shea, you know, whatever the, the just prepare whatever's next for your game or whatever that looks like. Um, you know, it really comes down to probably one, one main element, which we're talking about the comet, but the comet can represent anything. What we're really talking about is the placement of catalyst, the catalyzing action that's going to be formative. Now, this might have happened before session one. This might've happened at the beginning of session one might happen during might happen session two, three, four. So if as DM or GM, you, you have an understanding of that catalyzing action and its placement where it makes the most sense, I think you're going to be okay. I think you'll, you'll, you'll be able to read the room Mm -hmm. um, because you know, so we're talking about what's happening in game, but hold on for for a second. Let's just let's just totally flip this over. Flip the table. Flip the table. All right. So these early sessions, low level play, is also really critical for recalibration. Uh, it's recalibration for for new players who might misunderstand aspects of the game or what they thought. So what they think versus what they know now recalibration for us as game masters, there might be something really interesting or fun that evolves and feedback like, okay, we we, we just finished session one or two or three, or you just got to level two, or you just, we just finished that first main plot point. Uh, tell me what you enjoyed out of that and tell me what you weren't really interested in, like out of play out of session or after session or in between or whatever, like that low level feedback portion is really good. But I guarantee, even though I've never played a game with either one of you a day in my life, I'm sure you've had low level play or early level or early game play where you had the course correct. You had to do
0: something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, the system that we're about to play seems to be built for that. Um, because the players do have so much agency, which is why I think I talk about sort of the big story a lot. You know, I think about yes, the players can change course in in their in the adventure, and they might get really excited about this one aspect of what's you know of this adventure, and then there's going to come a lull, and like you say, it's the it's the timing of. You know, of the incident, it's the timing of of what, man, you had the best words for it. Um, but it's where you put, you know, the inciting incidents, which spur your characters to move forward. I, I yes, absolutely. Characters will always turn something. <laughs> they're going to kill the bad guy you're excited about. They're going to burn down the house that you didn't think they were going to burn down. You know what I mean? They're <laughs> absolutely... <laughs> Um, typically though, I do have an end goal in mind for the end of an adventure. So regardless of what kind of trouble the players or the characters may get themselves into, there is still this overhanging threat that needs to be dealt with. Totally. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you guys, so,
1: um, cause I'm just curious with new players, when you detect that sense of like, you know, like when you go to the restaurant and there's like so many options and you choose something, you see somebody else is like, they ordered something else and you're like, man, I wish I would've got that like total menu regret. And, uh-huh. and like, you see that with like a new player, they have, got, <laughs> they have regret. They like, Oh, I wish I would've done. That. Do you allow them at level two or two to three sessions in game? How did you give them a chance to maybe, maybe, Change, remove, completely alter in some cases elements of the characters that they generated a month or two months ago,
0: Matt, you first <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> uh as a general rule if especially if I have a commitment from my players that we're going to do like an epic storyline, I probably won't allow a drastic change um, maybe if it's like first or second level uh, though that is, situation has never come up um but i you know at later levels if you know a player comes up to me it's like I, I know i said i wanted to play it this way but as you can see the mechanics aren't turning out the way i expected you mind if i do this like little tweak you know i'll probably allow that um but i am my dungeon crawl campaign is actually designed for just that situation that you kind of describe um with some caveats. So uh, the basic rule is you can in, in between dungeons, you can switch out characters um, how, and you can experiment with the new character if you want up until I think I said level five, I might increase it to level six uh, cause they're becoming more proficient with the game. Uh, but the whole, I am basically take taken the tales of the yawning portal module campaign book. It's got seven classic dungeon crawls and they'll take it from level one to level 15 or 20 or something like that. And uh, so the rule is once you pick a character for the dungeon, you're stuck with them unless they die. Uh, And then if you complete the dungeon, uh, you can switch out characters, experiment with new ones, whatever uh, to encourage them to sort of stick with a character. Uh, I've, I've created like an achievement uh, boon sort of mechanic where, you know, if, They stick with a character for a tier of play, level one through four, five through 10, 11 through 15, uh, 16, 17 through 20. They'll get something uh, to benefit them. You know, Uh, uh, other achievements would be if you have a character that actually survives from the beginning to the end of a dungeon. Um, but I do allow for it in this campaign because it's, it's a beer and pretzels game. Um, I'm not really too worried about plot. My players aren't really worried about plot or some of their, um, backstories. One player is, and he's been approaching me, um, you know, outside of game and I'm rewarding him for his creativity and, and, and allowing him to develop his character. Um, you know and I would allow any of them if they were into it uh, they don't seem to be so it's you know we get together, we roll dice we we kill the monsters in the dungeon, and we move on uh, uh but i I do allow for it in that context, but like in my epic campaign, you know uh if you said you were gonna play a knight of the realm who is a devout worshiper of my you know monotheistic religion, and then at level eight, we're like, actually, I want to play a warlock of the dark." dark arts can we can i change him i'm probably going to say no (laughs) you know if you'd like to retire that character to an npc and then we can talk about you know yeah sure uh i'm i I guess i'd be open to that but there's continuity of story at that point where i'm concerned about and um uh i just don't i don't know i hate to sound like a an old fuddy duddy (laughs) but you know that's not what you said you were gonna play
0: you know yeah so So i guess that's my take understand that I do, but I have, you know, players come and go so often, um, or somebody brings a player and they only come a couple times, or something like that. That I do try to build something into a lot of stories that makes it easy for people to come and go. Um, but I did something a while back that I really liked where I was running, it was an epic campaign, but I kind of thought of it as like a trilogy of adventures or movies or what have you. And I put a time gap in between each of the three sections now you were allowed if you could story-wise you know you could in that gap you could make a new character and you could even use uh you got a certain number of you know we kept track of experience from your last character you could even make a new character up to that experience level in the gaps in between adventures but we had to explain it in the story somehow Um, only one guy took me up on it. Um, we did not retire his character as an NPC as much as we just kind of put him back and it was never played again, but I just always assumed if that character died, we'd pull that one out or maybe one day he would be an NPC. Um, but that seemed to make him real happy and it didn't affect my game at all. If it's a new system and new players, I'm pretty lenient on it. I mean, I know that I thought I wanted to be a cleric once, and that was dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean so I'm pretty you know I'm pretty lenient now if if I've got a player who everybody knows is just trying to get the most bonuses, you know he's he's really just trying to maximize you know his game, the mechanics, um, then probably no. You know, unless he comes up with a really good reason for it. But I'm pretty yeah, I'm I'm pretty loose on that. You know, for example you know, the game I'm building now. It takes place in a really small town where there's a bun there's an influx of new people all the time. Sure, change your character. Whatever. We'll figure it out. You know. It would be harder in a longer term game if it was a years long campaign and there was a lot of politics. I could see that being more difficult, but yeah. I'm pretty easy about it. Brian, what about you?
1: Yeah, I I sometimes the grandest of problems emerges from the smallest of choices. And for my wife's forest gnome in salt marsh, she said she looked me in the eye. She's so sweet. She's like, "I never use Tasha's hideous uncontrollable after whatever that spell is the first level, make, make them laugh and fall down. She's like, I never use that. Can I just change it? She's six level now. (laughs) Now, first off, this is my wife. Yeah. And my wife, she's not a power gamer. She's not the actor. She is not the tactician. She's the casual. Mm -hmm. So the casual it's important to understand that above all, If you want to keep the casual player, you want to keep them engaged. Uh, So it's a, it's a different answer. It's a different answer for her. And I told her, I said, well, is it, do, do you find that you haven't used it because you don't understand it or because I haven't given you a situation where you can apply it? And she's like, I don't know. It just seems, it seems stupid because now she's fifth and sixth level. She's got more powerful stuff to do. And I'm like, well, there's instances these, these are, there's, there's action choices you can choose and you don't always have to swing for the fences. There's a time for that. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not in a combat pillar, you know? And so I think right. that she kind of, she kind of reeled back. She's like, Oh yeah, you're right. So you have to have, and in this case, it's my wife and, and, the, but with any player, we're talking about having a dialogue, right? And getting them to understand at low level play, what is it perhaps that they don't find satisfactory? Is it a mechanic or is it because of a lack of understanding of when or how to apply it? Um, and, and, and and then take the total opposite. I had a friend who's no longer in my salt marsh campaign, but he was in for probably a few months last year. And I, he just was, he was straight up rules, lawyer, refer to the book, slow the game down to a, a screeching halt. Um, which was okay because he was right often, but other players were getting their screen time kind of cut into because he was correcting them. Um, so I had a conversation with him, and I'm like, look, I kind of get an idea of the game you're wanting to run, but you know, with all the girls here in this game, that's probably not what they're looking for. If you want to do something else, I'll run a different group with you and so and so and so and so and so and so. Uh, and so, we, yeah, we did. We re- he said, "Well, I don't want to play this character anymore." And now that character is going to become one of the most important NPCs in the other campaign because they're all familiar with him, but they have no idea. So you 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 want to you want to it's player by player at low level play. There's going to be some disappointments. There's also going to be like the the red Rider BB gun by the Christmas tree. Like, whoa! I didn't know that was that cool. And so now you have some juice, you've got something that, you know, you could probably every session. Well, like you said, with session one, you want to create something where they get a chance to pilot the ship. They may not know that pilot the ship is the awesome part of what they've created. Mm -hmm. So we have to be on our toes in those first few sessions and kind of take note of what we see
0: is what gives them the adrenaline and uh and channel that i agreed agreed um you know the thing about changing characters is i've as a player i can think of two incidences where i really was just done with a character you know the first time man poor isaac this guy isaac if you're listening i love you um (laughs) the first time (laughs) uh i played star wars my friend isaac um had me over and taught me the system and I played with a bunch of people and I played this doctor and I loved this character and I played the hell out of this character and he was great. I, he was, it was like Baltar in the old West. You know, he was really, he was a lot of fun and uh but I was just done and you know, Isaac, Little did I know when I was talking to him about being bored and, you know, maybe making a droid character, I had this idea for a droid pilot. Anyway, he just looked so disappointed and come to find out he had all these plans for my character, (laughs) you know, that he had written down and he knew when things were going to be revealed. We even had a new player come in who I found out later this part of their secret thing is he was after the bounty on my character's head. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was really, really oh, wow. good. Like, that Aww. was great, right?
1: That's like I mean, finding out the girl who had a crush on you in high yeah. school and, like, you're at the reunion. She's like, oh, yeah. I
0: you- oh man, we should have dated. I should have asked he, you. Oh. He did all this stuff, and here I am. being like, listen, yeah. I have this idea for an R2 unit that's a fighter pilot with guns in hidden compartments, you know? And he was like, no. And I'm like, yes!
2: <laughs> <laughs> well uh, i've you know, kind of going off of that story uh from the game master's perspective um i i think that's part and parcel as to why i'm reticent to just you know have a player up and switch a character out uh or around um because i'm again it goes back to the game master's very invested in everything that they've been doing um but also Brian you make a great point about the type of player that's asking that question you know obviously a casual player new player you know they 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 have buyer's remorse you know if it's a low level play i'm going to be more open to it um my all but i'm a very cynical game master i guess so whenever someone asks me that question or any question about uh usually like uh A question that begins with hey can i do this if um i usually i immediately think power gamer like what are you trying to do (laughs) you know to screw up uh this game uh, or you know take advantage of some loophole or whatever um so i'm i'm kind of like on the on the hunt for that so i if if there is a good reason uh, uh namely the player is very new i yeah i'm probably not going to have a problem with them switching it out but uh more often than not the reason why i want to say no is because um isaac (laughs) i don't know you but man i feel you
1: there's two parts (laughs) it's like you also though you don't want to create a precedent right like you don't want to create this precedent that this is going to be the behavior for every game that you play that we're just gonna change because if it becomes mutable right. all the time, well then there really isn't any investment. Um, but I you know, uh Gary, you were mentioning like at some point, like you 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 felt like an arc was fulfilled. And that might have happened like at level three. That might have happened at session four. And I'm sure at some point George Martin got tired of playing some of the Starks. Right. You know, right. So like he got tired of playing those characters. (laughs) Right. Well, so, you know, if you, if you work with the DM, maybe for players, if there's players that listen to this and you find yourself against the wall and you're, you're kind of tapped out or it wasn't what you thought, turn it into
0: something that's narrative fuel for the campaign. Well, you know, in hindsight, I think a good compromise and I don't, you know, I don't know where we were in the game. Um, Things happened, and I, I wound up having – I'm not having the opportunity to play with him anymore just because of life. Um, so I'm not really sure exactly even how that game ended up, but it, it, it was more – I think in hindsight, we could have come up with something where maybe, you know, Dr. Rip was – he was off on another mission. He was called away by something. You know, something could have happened. He could have gone on vacation. Right. Anything. Um, But that's not what happened. And I think my problem was that that was in the heyday of when Fantasy Flight was releasing a new Star Wars book like every, you know, three or four months. Right. So there was constantly and me being a GM as well. I was constantly getting new ideas. I was like, oh, wouldn't that be fun? And Oh, wouldn't that be fun? So I never really held it against Isaac. That was a really good character. We got a lot of mileage out of that doctor.
1: All right, let, 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 here here we go. I'm going to throw a few at you guys. All right. So, uh TPKs, low level play. Uh you, tell 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 me about a time that you had one and what you did to reset. Matt. Uh
2: wow, the low level play uh going back probably to and I'm thinking levels 1 sure. through 4 uh as being low level. Going back in the 90s, uh, it was uh, an epic sort of uh, 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 battle, uh, or excuse me, story arc. And uh, I didn't, it was actually by accident. Um, <laughs> the, the party, I just threw something that they couldn't hand, uh, handle uh, at them. And, uh, uh, and <coughs> I did sort of the 7C thing. They woke up in prison. So they weren't killed. Uh, that's kind of how I handled it because we had this epic plot that they were getting involved in to save run, And um, I was very inexperienced. And uh, I thought I was brilliant, actually, when uh, <laughs> I thought to myself, oh, like, man, I just killed everybody. Um oh they they wake up in the dungeon they actually they were just knocked unconscious you know and that's going back to when i've read the 7c game masters manual's like oh i've done that that's brilliant <laughs> so uh, uh that's what i did because in that situation i didn't want it to happen um but uh i ha- almost had a tpk doing uh a, the yawning portal campaign the first time with another group uh one guy made it out alive he he uh, um, and we laugh about it to this day because that's, they understood the nature of that campaign. You know, the, they made a mistake and picked a fight with the cool. dragon. Yeah. Sounds like and he
1: used it as a learning experience too, which is awesome.
0: I don't think
2: yeah. I've yeah. had one.
0: A total, like, I don't think I've ever wiped everyone out. Um... I've blown up a few ships that have had the majority of players in them um, the road warrior campaign being one of them uh, but you know that one they knew that was a that was a rough campaign and a couple players had already died a couple characters had already died we were blowing cars up I mean it was it was brutal and they knew what they were getting into when they got into that diesel full of gasoline you know they knew they knew anyway <laughs> it was their fault mm. <laughs> it was their fault <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I you know what I, I'm pretty good about designing encounters that will almost kill everybody um I I haven't I just hasn't mm-hmm. happened yeah mm
1: probably in the last two years two opposite sides of the coin and i'm going to tell you i don't know what it is and i've done the saltwater test on my dice i have done everything i can to check the balancing because i'm a firm believer in sharp edges (laughs) (laughs) um but I have this funny. tendency <laughs> to have incredible variants favorable that seem to lean towards crits. And so I had a TPK with some guys from my fantasy football league last year, and they were so excited to play because they had said, they were like, wow, we had no idea you played D&D. And so we got our all together and it's like, you know third, second, third level characters. And we're about an hour and a half in and it just started going off. It started going, falling, falling away. Then, and we had a TPK probably about 90 minutes in Everybody uh, was good sports. Everybody was good sports. Oh, wow. And then we just all generate. And then I just had to start thinking on my feet and I'm like, well, let's do something different. So you go to what, you know, create a whole, and we wound up fitting in a whole nother, like, because these are pros. These guys know how to generate characters within 40, 45 minutes. We generated characters and began a whole nother campaign over the course of maybe four and a half, five hours total. Uh, that now that's a dream scenario. Where mm-hmm. Everybody just, you, you dust yourself off, pat yourselves on the butt and get back up and start fighting again. DM included. Uh, hold, oh, let me go scramble. All right, let me go grab the lost city. All right, let's go dudes. All right. Um, and then on the flip side, I had a TPK. Uh, it's probably about six, seven years ago. Basic fantasy role playing is a great system to bring kids into, by the way, because it takes the best elements of the Moldvay uh, sets and makes it very accessible. Some of the third edition um, pieces. So the kids, like probably, you know, two hours in, they're all dead. They all wander off, uh. and so I thought I, I thought they would I thought they'd be really upset. Ooh. They were like addicted to meth. They, they, could not, they could not wait to play again. And so we play again. And I, I swear, another TPK with a bunch of 11, 12-year-olds, uh, uh, one girl, four boys. at the Total TPK. And they're laughing. They think it's hilarious. And they want to play D&D again. That's now, great. as a DM, as a DM, by the way, and as a as a person wow. who like I enjoy plot, I enjoy story, <laughs> I enjoy fostering character. I'm like, God, this isn't really fun. Well, you know what? It kind of is. The kids are laughing, and they can't wait. I talked to one of those kids. One of those kids now he's a he's a uh, a son of a friend of mine, and she told me the other day he's 18 years old. But when I first started playing with him, he was 10, and she said Hayden always. Talks about those D and D games, and he's a DM now. And he called me; he got my phone number. I hadn't talked to him in two years, and he said, "I want to be a DM, and you were the best DM I ever had." Now, first off, I was the first DM ever, right? <laughs> so that's a, that's a low bar. But uh, you know, I talked with him; I you know gave him some pointers and such. And uh, he's just like, "I just wanted to keep fighting. I wanted to keep coming back because they're again, what are the last most recent generation of gamers?" If you're below 25, you're used to beating the boss level. And so you keep playing to beat the damn boss level. And with tabletop role-playing games, it doesn't always work that way. And so TPKs can be a good learning experience. As a DM, it can also test your skills. And so like what you were saying, Matt, is like you, you use it as a learning experience in design. In my case, my dice, dude, they're
2: just brutal. They're just brutal. <laughs> <All> <laughs> Everybody- right. My dice. <coughs> uh, my, my dice have a reputation for being uh, PC killers, too. Uh, I have not used the salt test, uh, and hopefully, my players don't hear yeah. this part of the podcast. So, all
0: right, question for you guys because <laughs> I this was an idea I had a while back. Um, I was going to run an adventure, it was going to be like a sort of World War II Indiana Jones uh, find the treasure but there's actual magic, right? And the idea was, is I wanted to start the encounter, I wanted to start the game with an encounter that took place in the past and I wanted to kill everybody. Think um, the beginning of Captain America where the Red Skull bursts into the monastery and kills all the monks, but I wanted something grander, right? I wanted to show like the last, this treasure that they were looking for, I wanted to show the last sort of conflict you know where you know how this got lost and what would you do if you played a game you rolled up characters and that was part of the game and the gm made sure that everybody died and that was how the story started and you had to roll up again yeah i know right i've never do- i didn't Ooh. do it it was just an idea it was just an idea <laughs>
2: Well that reminds me of a game that uh a, a guy I'm playing with now um uh partner at my firm uh discovered we're both D&D nerds so you know we we play and talk when we should be working but uh he started a, a game where you know we wrote, we showed up with our characters um and he didn't tell us anything about the background. He's like, I don't want you to go crazy with your backstories. In fact, I'd prefer if you didn't have one. I'm not going to tell you anything else. Just make a character that you think would be fun to play. So I, I made like a classic, in you know, a fifth edition, a classic Elven uh, fighter mage uh, type, type idea. And so he then opens up the first session with, all right, you guys wake up. Uh, in the banks of the river Styx in Hades. You have no memory of who you are or what uh, you are. You know Your backstory, everything. You're completely mind wiped because of the river Styx. Now pass your character sheet to the left. And I was like, uh, what? I'm not going to play mm-hmm. the character I put together. <laughs> like, uh, And I was a little angry with him for about 30 seconds. Uh, and then I realized what he was doing. So... We, we, had to, we were struggling with this immediate combat encounter. Some undead uh, attacked us. And I'm now playing someone else's character to the best of my ability. And then after that combat encounter, we meet uh, the NPC quest giver, uh, who is an arcane aloth and uh, kind of gives us, uh, a, I can't remember exactly what he did, but it gave us a sense of ourselves back. And then the character sheets got passed back to the right. So I got to play my character again. So um, I thought that was cool. But for the first, like, five, ten minutes of the game, I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. <laughs> that's, this is not what I want to play. So that's all I can say to what your idea yeah, is. I you thought you about might that. get some pushback. Well, it,
0: yeah, well, you might not. I, I don't know. It, and I actually, if I did do that, I would probably hand out real simple pre you know here's this guy here's you're this guy, and we're just gonna but if you have to do that, I don't know. it was just it was just kind of an idea. I think I was watching Buffy, you know, and there was something on an episode of Buffy that you know it started in the past, and then you got the intro, and then yeah, just an idea i'm I spend a lot of time thinking about um making my games a little more cinematic, a little more like movies as opposed to um you know war game. Or something
2: so yeah i do that too i do that too i i sometimes get inspired just by a piece of music like oh this would be great background music for a scene that entails next thing i know i'm like okay i got the scene written how do i put it into an adventure so i can right. play this background music at so the right i'm time? curious you when know, you guys like are that.
0: designing like your let's say your first adventure Right. Well, I guess how does it work? Do you start with the big campaign story or do you start with the little the little adventures first? Do you know in general what your big story is like I do? Or is it does it start fairly small for you guys?
2: Oh. Um uh well uh yes and no. Uh it, Going back to talking about switching gears, so uh, my my partner, his wife, and a couple of his friends, they when they you know, realized I was a dungeon master for a long time, they're like, "Hey, would you DM us?" I was like, "Sure." So I'm like, I didn't know them uh, all that well, other than my my boss there. Oh, well, at the time he was my boss, and uh, uh, I said, "Well, I'm going to create this like really grand, epic storyline to drag them into the uh, and go." all to these different planes of existence or we'll do a planescape campaign and that way they can play whatever they want and it'll, and I'll have like this great thing. So I had like all this like exposition that took about 20 minutes of narration to them as I, you know, explained what was going on and, real quick after about two or three sessions i all of a sudden i i learned real quick that they're not interested in the epic campaign they they like the more episodic story arcs that they can be completed in a couple sessions maybe one session and just kind of focus on their characters as opposed to you know whatever crazy plot device uh excuse me uh crazy epic plot i have in mind um so i quickly abandoned it i just like okay they're not interested that's cool we'll do this instead um, so in, in that situation, I did have something ready to introduce them and I introduced it to them, but being their first session and their being first level, that first combat that they got involved in was really straightforward. It, it got them to, uh, use their abilities and get used to their abilities. And then they were introduced to the city of Sigil. Uh, and uh, given uh, a, a small quest of sorts that was somewhat related to the epic plot, and that yeah. got the ball rolling onto the second session. Um, uh, similarly, with the epic storyline I'm doing with my homebrew g- crew, uh, very similar, you know, they got they saw the dragon lay waste and everything, uh, they were advised they had to go. Uh, by a magical, I think it was like an elf or something, told them, you know, you need to go, go talk to this guy. And this guy, this quest giver said, Oh, I'm not going to tell you anything until you do something for me. They went and took care of that. And then, boom, off they go on how uh, figuring out what they need to do to defeat the dragon. So I do think about that. I do. Um, uh, uh, in terms of like, uh, if we're just going to do the equivalent of modules and uh, the campaign will last as long as people are interested. See, I think, so, I think modules I, yeah, and I
0: don't yeah. use a lot of modules. I will sometimes, you know, I may buy a published adventure and, and use some of the assets from it, like a basic storyline, but I'll start buying adventures when I can just open them and start playing a game. Like, I feel like I shouldn't have to do any pre-planning at all for an adventure. It's so lazy, but it's just kind of like, Mm -hmm. come on, guys. Like, I already bought it. I bought it. Let's just get to playing. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. I actually only started uh, recently using some of the pre generated stuff out there mainly because i i think what they're producing wizards of the coast is actually pretty decent because it's an entire campaign that you can use um but yeah i i rarely actually purchased uh you know one-shot modules i only did recently with lamentations because some of that stuff i find interesting and i just kind of actually and i wanted to learn it for
0: this marvel thing are you using the published adventures or are you Uh, are you writing your own? I know it's 1984. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, So, you know, with that sort of genre, I have, well, first off, I've got like, 12 boxes of comics right i I got source material for days um so you know it's like i i want hooks and whether it's marvel or whether it's top secret or whether it's cyberpunk i want early low-level play or beginning play or just introductory okay maybe that's maybe the best phrase that might
0: be the best phrase yeah
1: um introductory to character system tabletop whatever it is i'll tell you what it's kind of the it's kind of the ultimate proving ground in my mind for myself uh i i love pre-published adventures because i can modify the hell out of them Mm -hmm. um I don't like dungeon crawls unless it's already agreed to and understood from the onset because it's a bit of a different commitment because of it's very combat heavy in most instances for me, low level play, low level play. My approach, I kind of use a three, two, one approach. Uh, I want to keep it short and sweet. So my three, two, one kind of works off of the, it's kind of the pillars If you want to call it that, if I got a read on my group, um, I will have a variety of potential encounters kind of set. I'll reskin them as necessary where I'm able to, but a three, two, one, maybe it's three combats, two role playings and one exploration investigation, uh, or interaction pillar, or maybe it's three role playings, two combats or whatever. So I use that and it really helps me a lot stay fluid. And uh, I, I love low level play because I'll tell you what, if I can't improvise at low level play, I'm not going to be able to improvise anywhere. So right. I'm going to go into those first couple of sessions and I'm ready to find out what sort of – well. You're a musician. I want to find out what sort of mm-hmm. band. I want to find out what sort of band I'm, I'm playing with. Right. And and uh, I, I so a lot of reskins, a lot of different encounter designs, and what I have to really be aware of is how can I plug in encounter designs to the backgrounds or motivations. Or the driving forces of my players' characters—that is—that's the juice. My my goal in low-level sessions is to be a drug dealer of fun. I yep. want to get, I want to get them hooked. I want them coming back to me <laughs> for their hits, and so I want them to come back and go, "Wow, that was fun." When are we <clears throat> playing again?
0: Yeah. You know, so.
1: That's that's gotta- you've,
0: you've gotta give everybody what they want out of the game. If you have the character that wants to be the face, that wants to be the you know, the deal maker and the talker, you've gotta give them that scene. Same thing I said earlier with the pilot. You need to let him, you know, fly his ship fast and dangerously. Another fun thing to do though is if you're keeping track of your players and their characters, find out what they're not good at. Right in those low levels. Let's say you need somebody to. Well, let's say you don't have a pilot, and you need somebody to fly the ship. Oh, good point, Gary. Good. You point. know what I mean? And it's Damn not- good point. That's yeah. that boy. You can
1: create yeah. entire uh, plot points and arcs and ideas. Man, see, I love you guys. This is why we're doing.
0: It. This <laughs> well, is why
1: we're doing this because yeah. Right.
0: Where's the it's, weakness? So, and it's not just from the mechanical. We need to fill this gap, right, in our skill set. It's also from the fact that when a player feels success, it, it's that endorphin rush. It's that the chest pumping out, right? But, but what makes the game interesting? Yeah. What the players will remember are the complications. Yeah. Failure too. Failure. It's a failure. Exactly. Yeah. And you, dude. And I want. And this is. And I, I hope you know, as you two being my future players. Your characters have to fail, if they don't fail. Look, I want there to be stakes. There are stakes to this, you know. The NPC is tied to the railroad tracks. You better make your, you know, your galloping roll or whatever the beast met rolling, you know, whatever your horse skill is, right? You, you've got to do that. We need to have stakes. Um, yeah. No, so... no other
1: participant in tabletop role playing is more accustomed to failure than game masters. We, yes. feel, we, feel, we feel more than anyone yeah. else at yeah. the table. And if we're yes. doing that, well, first off, we're running the right, the right game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sucks. It sucks when you lose, but it's part of it. So, yes, and to invert failure and find a way to capture and harness that, I yes, I love it, man. Where's the weakness? How can you drive the mid-game? Because like, the the, the low-level play is also about discovering what you want to be able to do in the mid-game. So vetting that and taking those aspects and, 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 yeah, it's fodder. It's fodder for the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, <laughs> there's so much that we don't share with our players because if we did – it would it, it would make the game experience that much less, right? They don't need to see look, trust me, you don't really want to see what goes on with the band backstage before a show. You think you do, but you don't. It's not it's it's not good. Enjoy the know?
1: sausage. Don't enjoy <laughs> yeah, it.
0: <laughs> exactly. And so I'll never set up <clears throat> if there's a if there's an actual goal that my players have, you know, for the story. I'm never going to be like, okay, well, you're definitely going to fail at this mission. I'm always going to give them a way to succeed, but that doesn't mean to use the old expression. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to kill off their favorite NPC or kill their dog or wreck their car or sunder their magical weapon or something. I need them to feel it when they kill the bad guy. I want when they when they kill the boss. I want everyone at the table to stand up and shout. And they're not going to do that if the boss is a wuss. If the boss hasn't really hurt them, if they've faced every challenge and it hasn't presented a real challenge, then what's the big deal?
1: Hey, Matt, what's your favorite part of low-level play as a DM? Like, what do you enjoy most? Like, if you had to summarize it in a sentence, like, like, what's your favorite part of
2: low-level play as a, as a game master? Um, uh, I guess, uh, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. You know, I, you're not dealing with like super mega powers at this point. Uh, I I think I can't remember which one of you said it, uh, the players are dipping their toe in the water. Uh, and I, I, I get just as excited about the new, the new player, the new characters that I'm about to, uh, you know, tell a story for. Uh, so I guess that would be it. Uh, just, um, the, the sheer challenge and newness of it hmm.
0: Gary, Sorry, I was muted. Um, I, low level play is where you really build you start building the world. the world starts getting flush. you know you you build the skeleton before that because your players are they're gonna fill up the rest of that. Um, I like seeing how the world gets flushed out. I like seeing how new players, not necessarily new players to role-playing games, but new players to a system can be surprised by a situation or the way, you know, things may work. Um, You know, it's kind of like when that buddy of yours is reading your favorite book for the first time, you know, and you're jealous because you're never going to be able to read that book for the first time ever again. Uh, I like that part. I like... Uh, a natural 20, you know, when you make a roll or, you know, with Genesis, you know, the triumph, something, you know, that moment with the new player where it's immersion, right? With video games, you kind of forget that you're sitting in a chair holding a controller with a role-playing game. It's, it's not as, you know, you're not as strapped in, you're not as, as focused but when you hit the 20 on that die or you roll the triumph or whatever it may be, there's this moment where, you know, you, it's, it's, uh, it's joyous. You did this, you killed the bad guy. Tomorrow you're going to go sit in your cube and make phone calls, but tonight you killed the bad guy, you know, and that new joy that players have, I think is, I think that's the best. So
1: now I'll throw another curveball. And especially for, I mean, Gary, you've played some systems that are level agnostic. So at what point do we start to realize or identify? And it's not always a set number, but when are we no longer low level playing? How do you know? How do you know as a game master when <laughs> okay, we're out of it? Obviously, 5e, you've got tiers of play, but that's not always going to be applicable.
0: Hmm. Well, for me, it's when the players kind of start running the game in a way, you know, as a GM, there there does come a point where the players know the system, they know their characters and you kind of tell them what's going on and you can sit back and they start doing the math and they're planning for their characters and they're, you know, it's no longer about what happens. It's about, you know, somebody comes up to you and they want to craft something. Yeah. You know,
2: That's a really good point, Gary, actually. Uh, when the players start sort of running the game or um, at least becoming more um, proactive with how the sessions uh, are going, um, uh, and I always think that's a fun time too because uh, that's when you know they're um, maybe not as invested as you are, but uh, they're invested and and they're doing something with what you've created whether it's a a a homebrew world or something that's pre-existing they pre-generated that you purchased and and are running with uh, that's always a fun time when once you reach realize you've crossed that crossed that threshold with uh players that um you know are maybe new to the game new to role playing in general
1: I'm not talking. I'm not
0: muted. I'm just not talking. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Um, I was going to say that also really uh, can denote sort of act two, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, act one, you set up the world, you throw in the complications, something big happens, your players are doing something. Act two is really the meat. That's when the players or when it's characters in a movie, that's when they've made a decision. We're going to have to go do this thing. You might get a montage, right? <laughs> you know, the whole bit. Um, and they're really it's where all the cool scenes from the trailer come. Right. It's all the spaceship fights and it's all that. Uh, and that's when I start taking a cue that pretty soon we're going to start turning things a little darker. You know, it's at that point when the players are starting to feel a little bit more control of that world, a little more agency. I don't want to take the agency away from them, but that's when it's time to tighten the screws. Whatever that big story is, that's it's going to start coming down on them right about that point.
1: That's well, a pacing element, right? I mean, we're looking at at what point do we start to manufacture upheaval Mm-hmm. And upheaval, so that low level, like they're no longer in elementary school, they now have got to be able to find their locker. They got to get to their classes on time. They got to know the combination to that locker. And make sure they got their their book. Like it's it's a different world. And so when you start to kind of see that, and again in some systems, well, we know what low level play is, but it's not like that. in, in Marvel you know, what is low level play for captain America? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. you know, so it's, it's different. So it, it's a detection. It's a radar that game masters. You, it takes time. You develop it, you read the room, but mastery of mechanics. Yes, absolutely. Matt, uh, encounters get resolved a lot more quickly. They're ahead of you and you're on your heels and you're trying to scramble to keep up. That's when you probably, yeah, it's time to, it's time to drop a comment.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's really what it is, is at that point, you know, you probably, let's say you have a player who's an, an engineer type and they want to build a new ship or whatever it is they want to do. Act two, I'm going to let them build that, right? Whatever that little goal is that they have while all the story's going on. But when they're finished with that, when, when all the players are done with their little side stories or they're getting to that point, and you've been in that higher level or moderate level of play for a little while, I'm planning act three. Like, it's time. We're going to blow everything up. What is the big fight going to be? Because I don't ever want it to hit that lull where we just get we just get together and play, you know my guys do this, you know, I want to keep things moving, so there does come a point after that act too. your players have kind of maxed out you know what those personal motivations are, and it's like you said, it's time to drop the comet. I love dropping comments, dude. I have a whole fantasy campaign I designed. Man, the world, it was idyllic and kind of cool and it was actually a lot like Warcraft and as soon as my players got happy and had all the stuff they wanted, I literally had an apocalypse. I was about 15. That was a great campaign. Anyway. Am I muted? Y'all go on. Sorry. (laughs) No, you're good. (laughs) all right, guys. Well, I'm about out of stuff to talk about. I did want to ask y'all, as far That was a doozy of an episode, wasn't it? That was really good. Got a lot of good ideas. Hopefully, you got something to think about. Maybe even something to incorporate into one of your campaigns or adventures. We'll be back next week. We're gonna keep on keeping on. Uh, if you have anything to say about this episode, any ideas to offer, any disagreements, um, go to the Facebook page Gamers Get Away. Like I said, we're new. You could be one of the first. All right. Hey, y'all have a great week. Um, Everybody stay safe, happy, healthy. Try to get some gaming in. Put a smile
2: on that face. Take care.